Here we go on a Monday night. It's time for Iron Sports, True Oldies Channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. Thank you so much for joining us. And Ira, we're always uh, full disclosure on this show. We're going to tape this one earlier in the day on Monday. Good reason for that, though. You've got some plans tonight. Tampa Bay, Dallas. I'm going to be. I'm in the studio. Mike is actually in Tennessee. I thought he thought the Titans were going to play, but of course they didn't get into I the, into the <laughs> <laughs> that lost to Jacksonville. But uh, we're in the studio right here. I'm going to what, when we finish taping, we're going to go right over to see Tampa Bay, Dallas. I can't wait to be there. I mean, what a great weekend to see on Saturday night, Jacksonville Jaguars play uh, that amazing comeback, and then on Monday night to see Tampa, Dallas. It, I just it's it's like a kid in a candy store for me. Yeah, you've taken the, the uh, tour of North Florida, and we'll get into that more. We're also going to have Gene Fournette join us in about five minutes or so. Tell us a little bit about Gene. Gene is a writer for the Florida Times Union. He covers Jacksonville Jaguars and for all the papers. Any article you see about him, he's the expert on the Jaguars, so we'll have him talk about the game. Yeah, and uh, don't forget, anywhere across social media, at Ira on Sports, follow along with Ira, see what he did this weekend. He's been had a busy couple of months here, so make sure you check him out online at Ira on Sports. So we can talk about some themes of, of the weekend here, Ira, as we kick off the first round of the playoffs. And, you know, I really thought that we were going to see a lot of buttoned-up offenses, people, you know, pulling out all the stops, just looking polished. And for the most part, we really didn't see that. Some of these games look like preseason and week one games, which is some mistakes and just overall sloppiness. I really wasn't expecting that here week one in the playoffs. Well, I think people expected Cincinnati and Buffalo to just run away, including me. I felt like those two games, I felt Cincinnati was going to run away with that game, and I thought Buffalo was going to destroy Miami. Uh, their offenses look terrible, and, and I think the one thing that happened is that in both those games, Cincinnati and Buffalo, I mean, Cincinnati did not score an offensive point in the last 20 minutes of the game. And so we're, we're here you know, criticizing this morning, Kirk Cousins this and all this whatever. And I'm like, well, Cincinnati doesn't score anything. You have a Charger team with, with Justin Herbert, who's supposedly this next superstar, who doesn't who scores three points the entire second half. Uh, and then, and then, so I think it's that from that, and also Josh Allen against you know he almost they had that ten point lead against Miami, but could even put him away, and and Miami was able to keep coming back on that and making mistakes. So I think from that perspective is that we're looking at these offenses, especially from Cincinnati and from Buffalo, the offenses in the second half were not able to they didn't look like Cincinnati and Buffalo offenses. No, not at all. It was very surprising to say the least, uh, at least for me. So let's start with Chargers and Jacksonville. You were there, and I don't think when you book a ticket for a playoff game in Florida, Ira, that you're anticipating it being cold out. I had long underwear on. I had my heavy steel. <laughs> I was ready for Steelers, like Jets, like 20-degree weather. It was freezing. I mean, it was cold. It was like in the 30s, and I, but the fans were packed. I mean, everyone was excited. Everyone was dressed. You can know it's Jacksonville. Like every, you can see all the Jaguar fans with all their heavy jackets. There's no Miami Dolphin heavy jackets, but they all had these heavy jackets out, and it was a party atmosphere out there. They had, like, you could enter the stadium early, and they have all the concessions and everything that you could go to and but they'd open the gates up to two hours before the games but everybody was down there partying there was tailgating going on all that fun stuff and I had a, a just an amazing seed. I was on the in the club level. Now there's a I love the club. It's three levels, but I was in the middle club on the second row. I wish I could have been the first, but I was on the second row, like on the 45 yard line. Just a perfect angle to see the whole game behind the Charger bench. And so it was cool because you could stay inside. What I liked about that was I could stay inside and see the Seahawk uh, 49er game, watch that on the TV, then come out and then see the game. And and you know, I was warm, and then I could I actually got a chance to see the game. So it was really cool with the view. And then the people in the first row. 
didn't really stand up so much, you know, in blocks so I could get some great pictures and those things. Uh, it was funny, though, as the game went on, the, these are the lifetime season ticket holders for, for Jacksonville fans were all around me, and a lot of them did leave the game in the first half, but then surprisingly, oh, late in the fourth quarter, they came back, and a couple of them had left the building and somehow talked their way back into the building when they heard the comeback was going on, which is not really allowed in most stadiums, but I'm sure they had some pull. Yeah, being season ticket holders, I'd hope they give them the benefit of the doubt, especially if they've been there for a while. They haven't had much to celebrate uh, postseason-wise. So anything interesting happened to you before the game? Normally, uh, you know, sometimes you get up there with no tickets at all, just getting ready to go. How did the plans go for the playoffs here? No, I think I think everything went great. I, I was just it was an easy drive up there, easy way to find a parking, and uh, just I felt like getting in. The only thing I, the only fun, the difficult thing is you know how I love how to get pins before the game because you can't get a ticket, you can't get those mementos of like this is the ticket I was at the game. I have all my famous like my Michael Jordan last shot game tickets and all my other ones. So I like to get the pins of the game, but they're so you can't find them. So I went to like three stands they were gone. So I literally had to run to the top of the stadium, and there's this small little souvenir stand, and this lady had it and she had and they only let me sell two at a time so I bought two and that was it but I I had to run to the top of the stadium just to get the get the uh, you know when I entered the stadium but no it was pretty good and I was dressed warm for the game a lot of people were freezing but I was ready for the game because it said I'm used to be going to Penn State football and Steeler football games so I just had my normal outfits on for that this is Ira on Sports, True Oldies Channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. Just a few minutes, Gene Fournette from the Florida Times Union will join us, talk all about this game, but we're going to talk about it first. And Ira, so obviously the, <laughs> the quintessential collapse is the Falcons losing to the Patriots up 28-3. to This season we saw the Colts up 33 nothing versus the Vikings and lose. This was a pretty big collapse, though, that we saw in this game. It was crazy that you were there to see this because at one point you just thought the Jaguars had absolutely no chance. So how did this ridiculous comeback come about? Well, first of all, I have to say this about someone who's watched the Chargers play and watched Brandon Staley, their coach. If you People around me, people text me like, leave. I'm like... This is Brandon Staley coaching. We're not we're not talking about Kirby Smart. I was just at the Georgia TCU game. When Georgia got their foot on the necks of TCU, they just kept going and going. We'll talk about that a little later. That game, I felt, was over. There was no way Georgia was going to let TCU come back in that game. But Brandon Staley, I, I'm not, I don't have confidence. Like, like, this was not, and the Charger team, which you could, if you watch, if it was Josh McDaniels of the Raiders, uh, Brandon Staley of the Chargers, if you felt, I, I, like, no lead was truly safe, I think, if they got to the 30 points is one thing, but that start was just unbelievable. I mean, Jacksonville had their second pass play intercepted, but these interceptions that Trevor Lawrence threw were, were like in his own territory. So the Chargers were able to go two plays run and make it 7 nothing. It was more surprising that Jacksonville couldn't even play any defense. They weren't even tackling guys. The next uh, team, Jacksonville threw another interception. Chargers kicked a field goal 10 nothing, And then after a couple of three and outs, Jacksonville had a three plays, another interception, and then Eckler runs it in 7 nothing. It seems like every time Trevor Lawrence turned the ball over, the Chargers would just score on like 10 yards, 12 yards, things like that. And then it was Herbert to Eckler 24 nothing. I thought one of the key plays was that they they punted the ball and then charged the Jacksonville fumbles the ball on their own six yard line. It was twenty at that point. It was twenty four nothing, and then that's when everybody when they fumbled it, everybody left. At that point, it was end of the first first <laughs> half. But be able to stop them with all the momentum, with the stands leaving, with everything going on to hold them to a field goal when they had first and goal in the sixth. It could have been thirty one nothing, but to hold it twenty seven nothing. I thought that was a big win. And then this is where Brandon Staley is crazy. So Jacksonville goes three and out. They punt the ball. But then the Chargers get the ball, and it's with two minutes, 226 left. 
third and one on their own 27. They're up 27 nothing. Now, they could have gone down and drive and make it 34 nothing and whatever, but then they run this crazy play where they fumble it and whatever, and then they're punting instead of from the 27th, 28 yard line or just getting the first down. They're punting from their own, like, set, you know, the end zone almost, letting, uh, letting the uh, Jacksonville Jaguars get the ball and then score. And then when the score was 27 to 7, I'm saying, okay, we have a game. Now, you know, now we're only a 20 point game. Like that, at that point, I didn't think it was so crazy that Jacksonville could come back because I felt, but I, there was the chance. I, I mean, the Chargers to me, pathetic. I mean, I sat behind the Charger bench. Brandon Staley was going crazy the entire game. I wasn't, you know, it was just seemed to be confusion on the offense and defense side. And when you look at the Chargers and look at the names, the Derwin James, the Boses, the Max, you're like, how in the world is this team blowing this lead? And, you know, it's like it comes down. I can't believe Staley's still the coach. I thought it was one of the most poorly coached games. I'm not saying in the second half that he should have been uh, running the ball. A lot of people say they weren't able to run the ball at all. But to do to roll Herbert out more and just have him roll the ball out and throw it to Keenan Allen. Anybody who knows fantasy knows Keenan Allen is the, Allen is the king of the 12 catches, 75-yard game. Just have him come out, catch the ball, Herbert run. They did nothing of that. And, and it was just crazy in the second half. They, you know, at, here's Trevor Lawrence. He was four for 16 with four interceptions. They have five turnovers in the first half. And in the second half, they scored three touchdowns and a field goal. And the Chargers, all the Chargers did in the second half was two punts. They only had the ball four times. Two punts and missed a field goal and they made a field goal. And that's how you lose a game like that. And it just, it, it almost seemed inevitable. I mean, it really, like, like as much as all the Chargers needed was that one play, like do something, do make that extra field goal. They couldn't do anything and, and they, they just fell apart. And again, I, as I, I push back to Brandon said, now Justin Herbert should get criticized. He missed some passes, but really this is a coaching. You don't blow a lead like that. If it's a support coaching. Yeah. And I'm not sure. I mean, I, I believe you were you know saying on this show, you know, a week ago and pretty much all season, <laughs> Staley's got to do something here or he's going to lose his job. I'm not completely sure that he's not going to be fired later today, tomorrow. I mean, you, you really, it is kind of not only embarrassing, but it's like, so uncertain. And, you know, you were saying that you, you thought it wouldn't be crazy if they came back. I did. I'm looking at this like they have no chance. And like I said, this is going to go down as one of the most epic collapses ever. Yeah, I mean, I think even on the final drive when uh, Jacksonville was going down there in that fourth and one in NTN, and they had a call where Trevor was going to sneak and they audible to a to a run and he ran down there and then, but even that field goal at the end where the win, you know, it barely Riley Patterson's field goal barely got in in that upright, but it just seemed like the Chargers. You were, you're sitting with a Chargers team that is a better team than Jacksonville with better players with a more experienced quarterback. I'm shocked. I was really, I, I think this is going to, the, there was a bit, part of that first qu- half when I was watching, I'm like, is Trevor, like, like most other quarterbacks you say, are you going to pull that quarterback? Like, you know, you throw four, how many other quarterbacks can throw four interceptions in one half, three to Asante Samuel Jr. and not get pulled from a game? I mean, but then they weren't going to pull him because he's Trevor Lawrence, he's number one pick, and they didn't want, you know, but there is a point where, like, is he going to, I felt like he was going to throw, like, if it kept going like that, they're going to keep throwing it. He's going to throw seven, eight interceptions in a game. Like, at what point is it going to happen? And, uh, but it was like, again, that's where I, Brandon Staley not able to make those plays. And, and the defense, I was shocked at how the Charger defense just collapsed and let, let Jacksonville, couldn't move the ball at all that first half, threw the interceptions, didn't move the ball. Just the Charger defense was terrible. And then the Charger offense, unable to do anything except, you know, that the missed field goal was hurt. But, you know, not score another touchdown with an offense with Keenan Allen, Austin Eckler, and Justin Herbert. It, 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 a lot of people, and, and this, is a, this is a bad loss for Herbert. This is a really bad loss because he's been in the league now. He has not three years. He hasn't won a playoff game. I never said he had to get the playoffs, but you know, this was a win he had to make and uh, just a bad all around for a charge. If you're and my friends were charger fans, this is like, 
we expect this. So that's what they say too. So <laughs> no, I mean you're right on the on the pulled aspect. You could be a Dominic Hasek or Patrick Waugh. If you let up four goals in the first period of a, of a Stanley Cup game, it doesn't matter who you are. You're coming out. <laughs> but you, I guess you can't do that in a situation like this. And obviously, it proved to be the right decision. Um, let's catch up right now with Gene Fernetto, see what he thinks about what we saw uh, this weekend with the Jaguars and the Chargers. This is Iron Sports. We're talking to Gene Fernet of the Florida Times Union. Gene, you're the Jacksonville Jaguar expert, and I was up there that game on Saturday. What an atmosphere. First of all, before we talk about the comeback, talk about the atmosphere at that game in the city of Jacksonville on that Saturday night. Well, uh, first of all, I, I should correct you and say it's Jaguars, not Jaguar. But anyway, uh, <laughs> you made the same mistake that Gus Bradley made. He always called them Jaguars. But anyway, uh, the uh, it was pretty much a, a, a duplicate atmosphere of the week before because if you know they had a they had basically a playoff game the week before, essentially uh, with the Tennessee Titans, and they were trailing for most of that game as well. I mean, the fans were. It was a different type of game because they were never totally out of it like they were for a while against the L.A. Chargers the other night. Uh, but it was a very similar atmosphere. The difference is this one was a game that was won at the gun on a kick. So the eruption uh, at the stadium from, from 70,000 fans was, you know, electric and just almost like, uh, as I described in my column, You'd almost thought that there was like a, a little minor earthquake uh, there with, uh, with the reaction to uh, Riley Patterson's 36-yard field goal at the end that snuck inside the right upright. But, uh, no, it was just an amazing atmosphere. And, you, and the other thing I think that's in play here uh, is that, you know, not that any other NFL fan base wouldn't have gone crazy over a game-winning kick at the gun in the playoffs, but you have to remember these fans have a lot of pent-up energy from years of just having misery and misery heaped upon them, right? Only one, only one playoff ga uh, games in the last 15 years, and that was back in 2017 when they went on the runs to the AFC Championship game. But other than that, I mean, the Jaguars have been the worst team in the NFL. And so now all of a sudden the script has flipped, and it flipped in a year when they were 3-7 and seven and 4-8. and eight. Now, all of a sudden, you know, you find yourself in the playoffs. Tennessee Titans get all these injuries, and, uh, you know, that factors into it. Trevor Lawrence comes of age. You know, Doug Peterson now is being hailed as the, you know, the greatest, greatest coach, you know, this franchise has ever had, and they had Tom Coughlin. So uh, just it's a very planet-aligning situation for the Jaguars fan base, and so you can imagine why they were over the top. And that first half, it seemed like it was spiraling totally out of control. The interceptions, you, you mentioned in your column today that he had completed more passes to Asante Samuel than he did to any of the receivers for, the, for Jacksonville, for Lawrence did. Um, they were able to, to not go, I think in, you mentioned the column, and I thought it was important. It, it could have been like the Georgia TCU game that was like 38-7 or whatever. The fact that they were able to keep it and score that touchdown at the end of the first half, that allowed them to make that big comeback in the second half. Well, there was a lot of factors at work here. Clearly, that touchdown helped settle things down a little bit, right? You know, you just kind of feel like, okay, you know, we're, we, you know, shake the cobwebs off. But even prior to that touchdown, if you can remember correctly, uh, you know, the ball bounces off the helmet of Chris Claybrooks, right? He's not expecting the punt to be so short, so he had no idea. And Jamal Agnew was trying to warn him, but he didn't hear him. 
and uh, you know the ball goes off his helmet, and Chargers got a first down at the six yard line. They're already up twenty four to nothing. Okay, if they get a, you know, you would think first and goal at the six would you know when things are going terrible would be a touchdown, right? Well, I mean the the Chargers never got in the end zone. They, and they, it wasn't like they got a big penalty or anything like that. They just didn't get in the end zone. So holding the Chargers to a field goal was really big, right? Well, what happened subsequently? Well, you get you get the you get the, uh, you get the uh, uh, Jaguars electing to they had a fourth and two at their own thirty six, right? You know, you're down twenty seven nothing. I would have thought in that situation, Doug Peterson trying to get points before halftime would have gone for it, right? He doesn't. He puts it away. And then the Jaguars force them to punt, and they get, uh, you know, another bad, uh, looked like a fumble. It wasn't sure if it hit Clay Brooks' body. But Tavon Campbell, not Tyson, picks it up, goes four yards. Now the Jaguars got the ball across midfield. That sets up their first touchdown. So it wasn't just getting the touchdown. It was the sequence of events prior to that. And then, of course, after that, you've got the defense, you know, playing lights out. And, you know, then they had a couple other things work in their favor. Mike Williams, the receiver, uh, being out for that game, in, uh, in my mind, no question altered the outcome of that game. If Justin Herbert has Mike Williams available to be able to go to when they're trying to close out the game, besides Keenan Allen and the tight end Gerald Everett, I think the Chargers would have won, would have won that game. They would have, they would have, cause they, I think they would have been, Mike Williams would have been able to make, you know, one or two or three plays that would have kept drives going, things like that. But, uh, you know, Joey Bosa, unsportsmanlike conduct penalty. I, why he wasn't thrown out of the game, because he got two of them, I don't know. But, you know, that allowed the Jaguars to go for it from the one-yard line. They get the two-point conversion. You know, they just, you know, you have to have a lot of things happen for you. Uh, to come back not only from 27 down, but to be minus five in a turnover ratio and win a football game is absolutely amazing. And Doug Peterson, I, I'm, I was sitting on the Charger side, so I didn't see behind the, the Jacksonville bench, but Peterson seemed, when I was hearing from the radio, because I had the radio on, was talking to Lawrence throughout the entire game. I mean, that really must have helped in terms of... Now, Lawrence, of course, has played in big-time games. He was, you know, he had trouble against the LSU in the, the National Championship game. He's, you know, he's been in crazy games that were, were nuts, but it was probably, it was better to have Doug Peterson talk to him than Urban Meyer if they were down 27 nothing talking to him. Yeah, well, I mean, it's, yeah, I mean, that's, that's not even a comparison. Doug Peterson's got, you know, all kinds of NFL experience, 10 years playing in the league, offensive coordinator for Andy Reid. I mean, that, that, that's, I mean, Urban Myers uh, can't hold a candle from an NFL coaching standpoint to, uh, to Doug Peterson. But yeah, I mean, but normally he would be talking to Trevor anyway, right? He's the play caller. Trevor's the quarterback. So, but yeah, but you, you could definitely see him, you know, trying to, you know, I, I would say settle Trevor down, but Trevor doesn't really need settling down. You know, if you get my drift, his demeanor is such that he's not gonna, you know, he, he's not somebody that needs counseling because he threw two or three picks. I mean, he's just that's just not who he is, and that also explains why you're able to come back is because he's able, you know, as he said afterwards, you know, if I just let everything affect me. You know, and then I can't do my job and make the next play. So everything for Trevor is always about the next play. Okay, you've made a mistake. You've made multiple mistakes, but you know you can't you can't give up on the game. It just you got to just keep playing and, and let it play out because there was a lot of time left to go. And the most important thing, Ira, when you see all these great comebacks, right? 
I believe it was uh, uh, when Frank Reich uh, for the Buffalo Bills made his big comeback against the Oilers. Was that game at the Astrodome? I'm trying to remember. Or was the game in Buffalo? But, uh, you know, you look at what the Minnesota Vikings did this year, coming back from 33 down against the Colts, or some of these other, you know, great comebacks. Most of your great comebacks happen when you're playing in front of your home crowd. Correct, correct. Very rarely do they happen on the road. And then, Gene, we're talking to Gene Fernet of the Florida Times Union. So it's taking Trevor, a page from Trevor's playbook of looking for the next play, they, you had this great comeback, this great win. Now you have to go against arrested Kansas City, Patrick Mahomes, going in there, which they've already lost to once this year. Uh, talk about this game in terms of what, you know, how will they be able to build on this momentum and not just say, okay, we did what we had to do. We won our game. We'll just go and lose by two touchdowns. The, the fire to try to, you know, pull another huge upset here against Kansas City. Well, uh, nobody's going to go into a game thinking that, okay, we'll just, you know, <laughs> play our game, and maybe, and maybe we'll lose by a two-touchdown. <laughs> Nobody thinks that way. This is the playoffs. You don't, you don't get many opportunities to go and grab a, a Super Bowl, okay? You, know, you, can't just, we can't, you can't just assume that just because Trevor Lawrence and Doug Peterson are together in a really bad division that this means they're going to be you know, in the Super Bowl eventually. But they might be, and you know, they might win multiple ones. Who knows? But you can't – you have to seize – every postseason opportunity that you have. And the best thing the Jaguars have going for them the rest of this way, they're playing with house money now. I mean, you know, there was an expectation going into that game against the Chargers, even though they were a one-and-a-half-point underdog, that they were going to win that game. I think most people, most pundits nationally even had them winning that game. Some of the Chargers winning it, no question about that. But, I mean, I think there was an expectation that the Jaguars would win that game. There's not that expectation this week, but that might actually be a good thing for them. They can play loose, and uh, you know the Chiefs are the one with all the with all the pressure on them because everybody expects them to win. I think they're a nine and a half point favorite, so that's what the Jaguars have going for them here. Now, the flip side is if you get off to another slow start and you're on the road in Kansas City, that's probably going to be a little bit of a different animal than getting off to a slow start at home. Yeah, correct. I was there last year for the Ben Roethlisberger's last game when the Steelers got off that slow start and it was over. <laughs> that game was finished. But uh, Gene, what's the best way to follow you? I saw your uh, article today in the Palm Beach Post, but what's the best way to follow you on uh, social media? Okay, I am uh, at Gene Fournette on, on Twitter, and you can also find me on Facebook as well. Uh, but uh, uh, yeah, those, those are basically the two. I don't, I, don't do, I don't do any other social media except those two things. That's great. Well, Gene, I know you're busy getting ready for Doug's interview today, but thanks a lot for coming on Iron Sports. I really appreciate it. Okay. Thanks for having me. Take care. Iron Sports, True Oldies Channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. All right, let's pivot to, you know, I, I talked about a lot of sloppy games, and San Francisco coming in, Ira, with a rookie quarterback, mystery relevant. I think they looked pretty good. I mean, obviously, they, they've steamrolled, but I never got the, the sense that this was a sloppy team like I saw in a lot of other games. No, I mean, I think the score was, I think people were shocked that Seattle was able to get a touchdown run by Ken Walker in the 50-yard 
Uh, touchdown pass. So Geno Smith played great in this game. He played really well. A 50-yard touchdown pass to DK Metcalf, and then it was 17-16 at halftime. And then, But in the third quarter, San Francisco adapts like they normally do, and, and they scored Purdy, led a drive, ran in for a touchdown, made it 23-17. And then they get the strip sack on Geno Smith, and then in the fourth quarter, another touchdown, Purdy to Mitchell, and then Debo Samuel, 74-yard touchdown pass, made it 41-17. to but this is what this is why I think San Francisco clearly is going to Super Bowl. You have McCafferty, 15 carries, 119 yards, 181 total yards. Debo Samuel, six catches, 133 yards of touchdowns. Brandon Ayuk, who should have who dropped a touchdown pass, had three catches, 80 yards. And then George Kittle, their tight end. They have so many weapons. I, I mean, it is a plethora of weapons. It's an all-pro team. And that's why they had 505 yards on Seattle. And, and it was and Purdy, who was 18 for 30, 332 yards. Three touchdowns, no interceptions, and only one sack. It's the second most ever for rookie in the playoffs behind Russell Wilson uh, 10 years ago when he was a rookie to think that Russell Wilson was a rookie. But I, I just, one of those things, and I, I think when I watch this game and watch everyone, like San Francisco did what San Francisco had to do, and now they get to play Tampa and Dallas, who are now playing, as I said, on a Monday. They're playing on a Monday night. They're going to be tired. They have to go out to San Francisco to play that game. Uh, San Francisco finished their game at, at 3.30, 4.30 in the afternoon, San Francisco time. And now they're going to play this game on Sunday, but it's in the afternoon. So it's just a huge advantage for them. And then with the Giants uh, upsetting, you know, if Minnesota, if Giants, say if the Giants beat uh, Philadelphia, then that Chief, Chief, NFC Championship game is in San Francisco. So to me, San Francisco, everything is breaking the right way. I mean, to, short of it, when the Eagles lose to the Giants, it's going to be perfect. But whether they play Tampa Bay or Dallas, this team is going to be playing. We watched the Thursday night games. This is virtually almost going to be like a Thursday night game because it's late Monday and giving the extra, I mean, the 49ers got rested Saturday night, Sunday night, and tonight. It's almost three extra days of rest going into this game, and they and they played. So I think it's a huge advantage. San Francisco, to me, is looking like this is the Super Bowl year for them. I love the foreshadowing already of the Giants beating the Eagles. We'll talk more about those New York Giants coming up here on Ira on Sports. True Oldies Channel, Mike Balsamo. So let's go to the early game on Sunday, and this was our hometown Miami Dolphins facing the preseason consensus number one team in football. And through about, what, Ira, 10 minutes, you were like, okay, well, this this is maybe the best team in football. And then it just kind of fell apart. And I got to give the Dolphins credit for keeping themselves in this game. And this, it just, it was way more interesting and close than it should have been if you're the Buffalo Bills that are supposed to be the best team in football, because I just didn't see that. Yeah, I mean, I think, what happened is I, I, my one point about Cincinnati and Buffalo is that Devlin Hamlin, thank God, his recovery is going great. But I saw that, of course, with the Steelers with Ben Rotzenberger, when the Steelers had the COVID issue, when they were starting the year so well, when they had games, you didn't know if it was going to play on a Tuesday or a Wednesday or this thing, and their schedules all messed up. Remember, when they canceled the game, after the, they didn't know, are they going to replay it? Are they going to push back? It was an uncertainty. Players like strip schedules. They want they want a schedule. They want to know when the games are. They look at the schedule in advance. They know the time. Everything is to the minute to the structure. And there was no structure to when they were going to play this game. And I think that game threw off both Buffalo and K- there's emotion from Buffalo. It's an emotional situation that Hamlin is, you know, meeting the team and getting the encouragement. But I do think it threw off both Cincinnati and Buffalo's schedule in terms of how they're acting. And it, it gets Buffalo did not look. I mean, they got up to that 17. They were up 73. But I liked how Miami kept fighting back there with Skylar Thompson. Uh, people, I actually checked this. Skylar Thompson and Brock Purdy played each other when Skylar was at Kansas State and Brock Purdy was at Iowa State. They played a game. Brock Purdy won that game. But uh, he has experience 
experience, you know, playing in the Big 12, just like Brock Purdy has. A lot of these quarterbacks are like, oh, who is Brock Purdy? Well, he's he started 50 games in the Big 12. He's gone against Oklahoma in huge games. It's not like he's, you know, just starting out there playing games. I mean, he knows how to play football. I think what was surprising in the Dolphin game was that Waddle was dropping passes. Hill was dropping passes. I mean, there was a point in the middle of the first quarter where they, they each had dropped five passes, and it was like 173 yards to 19. And Stefan Diggs for the Buffalo Bills had 100 yards in one quarter. Last guy who did that was Antonio Brown in 2016. I remember that game against the Jets. But um, it was... I thought it was. I think the thing that one of the things that fired up the uh, fired up the Dolphins was when Wilkins, Christian Wilkins, and and Josh Allen got into uh, uh, that fight. You know, sort of like a, you know on the interception. I thought that got them motivated a little bit. But uh, you know, just to get back into seventeen nine, I thought was 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 crucial. And then Thompson that drived it down. You know, threw it to Gasicki, then to Hill to make it seventeen seventeen. I, I know it was twenty seventeen halftime, but the fact that they got into that game and it wasn't like a you know, a 20 to, to nine game at halftime, but to actually come back in the game, say, look, we're here. You got to come and win it. I got to give the Dolphins a lot of credit. I thought that was really great that they, they did not let this game get away from them in that first half. No. And, and what you said about Skylar Thompson, if you just look at the stat line, especially early in the game, you're like, this is terrible. And granted he threw a horrible interception, but a lot of this was on Waddle. Waddle dropped two big, would have been big play first down. Uh, Tyreek Hill had miscues. As you said, it wasn't, that awful on the Dolphins' side. They continue to try to run the ball, which they know they have to do to win games like this. What happened from here? Because watching this game, Myra, there's a lot of parts in the second half where I'm like, any minute now, the Dolphins are going to take over this game. It never happened, but I, I felt like they had a chance the entire time. Well, it was so funny. I, I think I screamed a lot yesterday because I was in the elevator of my building today, and this woman was coming up and say, man, what was going on down on the floor? They go, do you hear about this guy that was screaming? I, I think that was me because I was watching the game. And I was, <laughs> because I think when Josh Allen fumbled the ball and there was a scoop and score to make it 24-20, I mean, that was like, oh, my gosh. Like, that was like one of those, I cannot believe that moment that he fumbles there. And that really gave the fins. You're like, wow, the Miami could pull this huge upset. And I know that, you know, they, they came in that Buffalo was able to make it 34-24. But it was great that Thompson, again, it's 34-24. This game should have been over. The Buffalo should have. But I, I was shocked. And this is where Cincinnati had the same problem. They had the ball two times in that fourth quarter, three and outs. How in the world can you go three and out? Like, we're, we're going to criticize the Chargers till the cows come home. We're going to criticize the Vikings and Kirk Cousins. But if you're Josh Allen and the Buffalo Bills, you got to finish this game. You can't let them go down and make it 34-31, then go another three and out. And then everyone is criticized. I cannot believe this all oh, Mike McDaniel, you didn't know what the play call and, and all this. They have a third string quarterback in Skylar Thompson. It's chaos up there. You have the Buffalo crowd is screaming and yelling. Of course, there was going to be mistakes in the game. I would have been shocked if everything was done perfectly. They, it, he was, you know, he thought they had the first down. They didn't have the first down. But I see everybody's criticizing Mike McDaniel. Everyone's criticized Skylar Thompson. I'm not the one. I, I, I'm Mike McDaniel coached a great game, and I think yeah, there was some confusion whether and whether it's on a fourth and one or a fourth and six. Come on. I mean, I, I, it, it's, it's, that's what it was. I mean, they didn't get the first down, but uh, uh, I just think that to throw this all on that fourth and one or fourth and six in terms of not getting the playoff and not getting the plays, I, I, give, I give Miami a pass on that. Yeah, no, this was more to me. I, I, I think Miami did just about enough, and the Bills looked pedestrian, and this has been since Brian Dable left, Ira. We've just noticed that Josh Allen is just not as, he's not as buttoned up. He just does sloppy things, whereas over the past two seasons with Brian Dayball as the OC, you didn't see this. He cut the turnovers way down. He cut the bad throws way down. 
now looking at what he did this season, especially it almost seems to be getting worse as the season went on, you have to be a little bit worried if you're Buffalo going forward. Yeah, and then also Miami didn't have Rasheen Mostard, uh, who didn't play, just with Jeff Wilson. It, it, I give Miami a lot of – I mean, I thought they were going to get blown out like 40-3. to three. Like at that point, I mean, and, and, and yeah. the fact that that game was close and it was pressuring him, I give, I give the, the Dolphins a lot of credit. Now – Look, we can. We have the rest of the months to talk about the whole Tua situation, who the quarterback will be. That's going to be the issue because you can't be going to playoff games with Skylar Thompson. But the fact is that it was from the Buffalo perspective. Yes, you're concerned with them. Luckily, they got through. They weren't upset and they won the game. You know, survive in advance. But again, they haven't had the, it's. But I think the good the advantage I have for Buffalo is that Cincinnati looked just as bad as they did. So you know that's the advantage is that, that they're going to play a Cincinnati team. We're going to talk about that that had the same problems that they did, which was could not close that game out in the fourth quarter. No, absolutely. Yeah, it's it, it's surprising on both fronts, and who knows what we're going to see yeah, from them next week. We'll talk more about that in a couple. This is Ira on Sports True Oldies Channel. Mike Balsamo here as well. I brought up Brian Dable. Let's talk about the New York Giants, and this is the one as a Giants fan, Ira. I'm super worried because every analyst on every network all week is picking the Giants to upset the Vikings. And when you start seeing momentum like that, you're like due for a letdown. And, man, this was a really exciting game. I think that the Giants and Daniel Jones are proving we may not be the best team on paper, but you don't want to play us. And that's exactly what we saw as the Giants got a huge win over the Vikings. Yeah, I mean, the key part of this game is the Giants were able to take the lead and, like, it seemed like holding on the lead, and they advanced. Like, they closed, to me, they closed the game out, except for at the end of the game uh, the where Slayton drops the ball. Uh, you know, that was that was, you know, that was a, that was a bad huge drop, drop, huge drop. Vikings get the ball back, interfe- you know, where the roughing the passer on Dexter Lawrence, which was, that call was, was terrible, but... I, I'm going to say this. This The whole topic of discussion was about Kirk Cousins. Kirk Cousins was 31 for 39, 273 yards, two touchdowns. I thought he played great. TJ Hawkinson, the tight end, 10 catches, 129 yards. Jefferson was 7 for 47. On the last play that was fourth and eight that he threw to Hawkinson, he was pressured by Dexter Lawrence. Xavier McKinney, who's the Giants' uh, defensive back, had, I mean, Hawkinson was breaking tackles the entire game. Like, I don't think it was that bad a pass. Everyone's like, oh, you got to throw it down the field. You got to throw it down the field. You're, I don't know. I mean, I don't know. Throw it up to Justin Jefferson. Maybe that. He's done that before, you know, against the Bills. He, he did a play like that. But I, was, I wouldn't criticize the, the play to Hawkinson as much as everybody else is. But that, so that's my personal opinion on this game. I think the Giants did win this game, but I am not. I'm not saying this is a Kirk Cousins complete disaster. He was 30. He only missed eight passes the whole game, and it's almost 300 yards passing with two touchdowns and no interceptions. So uh, we can move on here to Baltimore and Cincinnati, and this was one. I don't think anybody, maybe not even people in the Ravens organization, I know what's going on with Lamar Jackson. We sure don't. So going in with Tyler Huntley, I'm thinking this team won't score 10 points. <laughs> and I just thought that Cincinnati was just going to be able to run the score up, drop 40, and we were going to see a lopsided, you know, three-score uh, difference. But it wasn't the case. Pretty much this entire game, you're looking at it like any second now, Baltimore could win this game. Cincinnati did enough to hold on and get the win. But again, like we said, a little bit worried if you're a Bengals fan. I don't know if I want to play the Chiefs right now. 
Well, I think one of the big points with Lamar Jackson is not only is he not playing, he issues his whole medical history of his knee, which I think the Ravens would rather say, well, let's have some doubt in the mind whether he's going to play or not, that he sort of said, I'm not going to play. But he doesn't even come to the game. Uh, This reminds me of when Kyrie Irving, when the Celtics were playing the Cavaliers in Game 7, and Tatum and Brown, and Irving didn't even, you know, was getting dental surgery or something during Game 7 of that game, which I was at. Um, You think about all the Raven fans that made their way to Cincinnati to see the game, and Lamar couldn't figure a way to go go to the game and actually if he's standing on the sidelines to, to even give advice to Huntley or give advice to Harbaugh or see something that he's seen. I, I was shocked that he, he didn't even show up at the game. But, uh, you know, the first half, each team only had the ball three times since he was up 9 nothing. But then Baltimore went on that 17-play, 75-yard, 10-minute drive. They converted fourth and one, and Huntley to Dobbins making it 9-7. to um, And then when the Cincinnati fumbled, the Ravens made it 10-9 at halftime. But it's like, that was like, well, that's what only Lamar Jackson can do. But I've seen Tyler Huntley play this year. I mean, he can play like that, and I thought that was, uh, you know, I thought that was crucial. But uh, but that was, you know, at the, in the and then after halftime, since I drove down, they scored a touchdown, uh, made it seventeen ten. But that's the big story about this was that was the last offensive points they scored the rest of the game. The next twenty minutes, they don't score at all. This is Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, Joe Mixon, all this firepower, and you can't score at all. Um, and then Huntley to Robinson made a 40-yard pass, 17-17. And then, of course, the key play of the game, you know, the, they they drive down to the to the one-foot line. It was first. Actually, the problem was it was first and goal with the Cincinnati two. They threw an incomplete pass. Then Edwards ran to the one. And then Huntley on third down goes, and he puts the ball out. He wasn't even close to the goal line. And you hear that, you know, Belichick and Saban say, you know, their quarterbacks don't ever do that. He puts the ball out. Logan Wilson forces it out, knocks it out. Sam Hubbard runs 98 yards, makes it 24-17. It reminded me of the Steelers against the Colts. Remember they're playing uh, uh, Peyton Manning in, in, in Indianapolis and and uh, uh, Ben. It was early in Ben's career when Bettis went and Bettis went to score a touchdown. Jerome Bettis fumbled, and Ben was able to tackle the guy, and they didn't stop the long return. I'm like, you know, they needed, actually at that point, you needed Huntley or someone to tackle Hubbard, and Mark Andrews almost did. I thought he was clipped on that. He's running down the field, and he got clipped running down there. That made it 24-17 with 11.39 left, but can you believe that's what the score ended up with? The Ravens went three and out, the Bengals punted, the Ravens went five and out, and the Bengals went three and out, and then the Bengals weren't able to do anything more. They have a 24-17 lead. You think, can you get a field goal? Joe Burrow couldn't even get them a field goal. Ravens had the last drive, and a lot of people are criticizing the Ravens on this drive and how they handled it with the timing. But look, they were fourth and one on the thirty-seven uh, with two minutes, uh, third, uh, you know, first and ten on the seventeen with thirty-four seconds left. They were in position to score. Um, they didn't. They didn't want to score a touchdown and give any time left for Cincinnati. I just felt like they just didn't make the plays. They just don't have the wide receivers and the and the and the plays to make it on that position. But. Uh, uh, I got, you know, Ravens had 364 yards. Bengals only 234 for the game. Uh, Joe Burrow was 23 for 32, 209 yards, one touchdown. But the key thing for the Bengals is this. They lost another offensive lineman. He had four sacks. And against Buffalo, it certainly against Kansas City, if he's going to get sacked four, five, six, seven times, I don't think they're going to make the Super Bowl this year. Last year, they got lucky with this letting him get sacks. But if their offensive line could not protect Joe Burrow, then Cincinnati's either going to lose next week or the week after against Kansas City. No, and it's what we saw in the Super Bowl uh, two years ago when everyone thought the Chiefs were unstoppable, but half their offensive line wasn't there. And Tom Brady and the defensive front of Tampa Bay took over and were able to minimize, you know, the greatest quarterback in the sport just for no offensive line. But crazy to think 
that with this high, you know, high powered offense, Joe Burrow, that they'd win it on a 99 yard defensive touchdown. <laughs> like, just you, you can't write it up like this, Ira. And that's why this game to me was almost the most shocking, not just for that play, but just the ineptness. Like you said, they, they couldn't get a field goal down the stretch, anything to put this away further. Yeah, they got the win. But again, I mean, I really just don't know what to expect with the matchup with the Bills next week. I, I don't know who I would pick at this point because neither team impressed me. I like the Bills better because I do think the Bills, I just, I am not impressed with how Cincinnati's been playing. And I just think, again, losing their offensive lineman, I just, I, again, it was just, I felt like, I think, but again, both teams are struggling. Uh, I'm probably more sold on Josh Allen than I am Joe Burrow. Ira on Sports True Oldies Channel, I'm Mike Balsamo. So we're doing this show earlier in the day. Great reason. Ira is going to be in Tampa later. He's getting ready. We're kicking off in uh, about an hour or so. Cowboys taking on the Bucks, And this is one, Ira, I really don't know how to predict this game. I mean, you never want to bet against Tom Brady, that's for sure. Dallas, we saw a tale of two teams this year. Best defense in the league through eight weeks, and they've been pretty bad now for two months. I don't know how to pick this one. I wouldn't bet it, <laughs> but what do you think is going to happen? I, I'm sure it's going to be a fun one to be at. You've been to about a dozen Tampa Bay teams this year, it seems like. So what do you anticipate? Well, I, I'm telling you, I think the issue is that Brady is 7-0 and versus the Cowboys, 2-0 and with the Bucks, and 5-0 with New England. They beat them last year, 31-29, won a great game when the year started. This year, 19-3 in Dallas to start the season. Dak was terrible, 14 for 29, 134 yards. They only had 12 first downs in the game, 3 for 15 on third down, only 200-some yards. They actually committed 10 penalties. Brady was efficient in the game, and Leonard Fournette, and they they did what they actually did in the game, which you expect now, that Leonard Fournette's going to run over the Dallas defense, which Dallas has not really done well against the run the, the last the two months, it seems like. The thing that concerns me, I, I really think that the uh, the Bucks offense is you're going to see a pat. You're going to see it's going to be high powered. I, I would definitely bet the over in this game. I think Evans and Godwin and Brady. You see Brady throwing those large passes, but I'm nervous about the Bucks defense. I I feel Vita Vea, Carl Nassa may injure the game. Almost the entire defense is listed as questionable. Logan Ryan, Carlton Davis, Mike Edwards, Sean Murphy, Bunking, Mike Edwards, Keanu Neal. Their entire secondary and all the reserves are listed. They might, you know, I might have to be called out and help. I mean, they might have fans come out. I don't know how. With all the injuries they have on defense, I'm very concerned. But, you know, if you get a shootout and you have a shootout between Dak and Tom Brady, at that point I'm taking Tom Brady because you know Dak's going to throw a pick six somewhere in that lane, and I trust Tom Brady. So I think that's what Tom would love to get into is somehow a shootout in that situation. But I think a lot of people think, oh, it's going to be like the Bucks' offense. But I think the Bucks are going to move the ball. I think Rashard White, the running back, is going to play a big role. I think Leonard Fournette's going to play great. I really think the Bucks are going to put up, I mean, it could be like almost 40 points in this game. This will be one of their best out, the best alpha, uh, out, you know, output of the year for them, but I do, I'm scared about their defense. And I think that Dallas is going to actually move on them uh, and, you know, perform better than did last week against the Washington commanders. But I would pick still Tampa to win this game. Yeah, seeing what Dak Prescott did down the stretch, the fact that he managed to lead the league in interceptions, only play a handful of games, I'd be very concerned um, if I'm a Cowboys fan. But like you said, with all the injuries to Tampa Bay, Maybe that is just a way to do this one. Bet the over, hope for points, and it's exciting that you're going to be there, and we'll be talking about uh, what happened next week. You'd mentioned the national championship game earlier, and this was one where it was kind of, I guess anticlimactic is the word for it, especially after we had just an amazing series of games in the playoffs getting into it. Kind of a letdown here, but Georgia does what they do, uh, back-to-back champions. 
I didn't mind. People said oh, it's a terrible game. I didn't mind watching Perfection. I don't mind watching Perfection. I thought Georgia, I, as someone who we've talked about, I said I, I was not a TCU believer the entire year. I didn't think they were going to, they, they surprised me. I think Michigan played an absolutely horrendous game to let TCU beat them. Um, and Georgia then did what Georgia, which I thought was going to happen. We had talked to, you know, we had writers on the shows mentioning that, but I, I really felt like Georgia was just peaking at the right time. And I give Georgia a lot of credit to doing something that the Chargers didn't do, which is when you have the game one, when you're dominating the game, you keep dominating and you end the game. And that's and I think it's important in anything in terms of, of sport is like you just end the game. And that's what they did. They ended the game in the first half. Um, this is my... In the, I went to the 2013 National Championship game that Bama won, 2014 that Florida State won in the Rose Bowl, the 2015 Ohio State won in Dallas, the 2020, which is awesome, the LSU-Clemson game uh, where Joe Burrow was against uh, Trevor Lawrence <laughs> in the New Orleans, and then the Bama-Ohio uh, State game in Miami against uh, 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 um, Mac Jones versus Justin Fields in 2021, and then last year's game in Indy. So I've been to a lot of these big games. You know, it is... The TCU crowd turned out. That whole side of SoFi was packed with TCU. Their fans are tremendous, all in purple, and uh, and certainly Georgia fans turned out too. I would say it was almost like 55, 45 TCU fans. I feel bad that the games in LA, you never felt like I walked around town for a week. I did not see anything. Now, I didn't go to the pep rallies or anything like that, but I felt that with the, with the Penn State too. It's such a big, everything is spread out. It's not like in one area, so you don't really see fans. Like, oh, there's a national championship game going on. I didn't see anything. The other thing that hurt the game was the weather was so bad and I was like well there's a dome well the dome it was leaking through the roof it's not a dome it's just a covering on the roof and the sides are open and the water is just coming right into where the the walkways are up there and all the restaurants and uh, and all the concession stands and it was it is I saw hundred people fall like there's no like people are falling all over the place it was freezing cold it was super windy and uh i thought you know the weather was just and when you left the game it was like walking into you couldn't even get out of the parking lot it was the fields the uh, parking lot was filled but i can't believe they can build a dome i mean it, it did not have a dome to have this open air side you know they think the weather's so great but again the roof was leaking during the game water was coming in all over the place and the same time as at the end, I, I was so I felt bad for everybody who was slipping and falling and being injured. I mean, if I was a personal injury attorney, it would be like, you know, make some business, pay for all my <laughs> tickets to go there. But I had a good seat. I was on the third level on the 30-yard line. Um, and uh, so I on the TCU side. So I got, I wish I was maybe the second level was much, much better than the third, but it was still good. There's still a fourth and a fifth and a sixth level to the stadium. It is so big. But uh, but no, I, and you know, also the merchandise stands. People were got in early to the game. They were stood, some people stood in line for two hours to buy merchandise. I have no idea why they don't have more merchandise stands at these games to sell stuff. People want to buy it. That's ridiculous. I think I'm next time I'm going to pay for my ticket by setting up selling pins and all that stuff at the game. But uh, um, just to talk about the game really, really quick. Uh, Georgia had the ball 11 times. They scored nine touchdowns, a field goal, and a punt. <laughs> and uh, this was like one of the big, uh, you know, it, it was, uh, it, they, I remember when Nebraska beat Florida by 38 points in 96 Fiesta Bowl. USC beat Oklahoma by 36 points. And then I remember Alabama, 28 points over Notre Dame in 2013. But, you know, Max Dugan was 14 for 22, did terrible. Quinton Johnson, who we think is going to be the number one player taken in the draft, had one catch, one, one, one wide receiver had one catch. But the game at the beginning was set out. TCU, like, gets the ball first, go fourth and 12. Georgia then had plays of 7, 21, 12, 6, 21. And uh, Brock Bowers was tremendous, and, and Bennett ran in for a touchdown. TCU fumbled, Georgia scored, TCU had it. Then they scored their one touchdown, and then you're thinking, 
okay, it's 10-7, we might have a game here, but then it was just Georgia touchdown, Georgia touchdown, TCU interception, Georgia touchdown, and then, you know, they threw another reception, and it's 38-7 at the end of the first half, and then you knew it was completely over, and I got to give Georgia credit because they didn't come out the second half, they punted, the, that was the first punt, and then they then scored four touchdowns in their next four drives, and they ended up having 600 yards of offense to 198, uh, 32 first downs to nine, and this is the TCU team that I felt was, you know, this is what I saw was thought was going to happen, and this is what Michigan, if I'm a Michigan fan, you know, I'm upset about, you know, that's what was, that would, you know, that was could happen. And uh, Stetson Bennett, tremendous credit. I uh, I know Chris Maddog Russo is criticizing him because he's 25 years old. He said, I didn't know he was 25. Well, it's, you know, he's not been hiding his ID. I mean, it's not that he's not been using a <laughs> fake ID. He's been letting everybody know he's been 25. He just turned. And if anyone follows college football these days, all these quarterbacks, Sean Clifford at Penn State's 24 years old. Um, you're going to have Bo Nix next year. who's going to be 24 years old. You have all these quarterbacks that are in their high, in their mid twenties that are playing because of NIL rules and, and the COVID year. So, I mean, I just give Stetson Bennett a ton of credits Two star QB out of middle Tennessee state is only offered uh, the only middle Tennessee state was the only one who offered him a scholarship. He walked, on to Georgia. Justin Fields goes there, so then he transfers to this uh, Jones Junior College, uh, plays there a year, then was going to go to Louisiana or C- Ragin' Cajun School, decides to go back to Georgia, gets a scholarship, backs up, back up in 2019. He's the fourth-string quarterback in 2020. In 2021, he's a backup to JT Daniels, gets the position, leads them to a 12-0 in national championship, and even after last year leading them to national championship, they were going to bring Caleb Williams in as maybe a transfer. They bring him back, and now he's 15 and 0. So I mean, he's and his in his career, he's 29 and 1 as a starting quarterback. Um, just an amazing performance. He threw for 4,000 yards, which is the Georgia record. Uh, a legend, one of the best, you know, one of the best two years. I mean, Tim Tebow like in terms of winning back to back national champions for Stetson Bennett. And I thought he played great. I mean, he ran the ball uh, super. He made great passes. He's a, just just a tremendous. And, and it was just that focus and determination. And and I got to give Georgia credit. They went in there and they were not going to let what Michigan had said, okay, we'll just play a sloppy game. They were focused and they won the game. And on, on a level like that, I give them a ton of credit. So I didn't say, oh my God, you saw such a terrible game. I don't feel it was terrible. I saw perfection. And if I saw Mike Tyson walk out there and knock someone out in the first round, I'm still seeing, you know, perfection. And that's what I want to see. This is Ira on Sports, True Oldies Channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. So, Ira, most people, you know, you're going to NFL playoff games, national championship games, uh, uh, college football playoff games. People would think that you're probably exhausted at this point, but you're not. And you've been taking in stuff during the week, too, between the NHL, NBA. You saw an epic game uh, with the Lakers uh, earlier this week. Yeah, I mean, I just... I, I was in LA for about 10, 12 days, and I saw so I saw three bowl games. I saw the Fiesta Bowl, the Rose Bowl, the National Championship game. I saw two NHL games and two NBA games. I mean, the Fiesta Bowl we talked about. I was on the fifth yard line. Club Row one was perfect. I love that State Farm Arena where the Super Bowl is going to be. Thought that was an amazing atmosphere. And I, you know, some people criticize that stadium. I don't know. They're crazy. I, I, it's one of the nicest stadiums you possibly can have. The Rose Bowl we didn't talk about it much in the last show. It's a complete dump outside. I mean, the water, we were getting, we had rain the whole second half. You could even walk out. There's no, it's a, there's no like stadium, like the, you walk down when you walk down in the stadium. It looks like a high school stadium on the outside. And then you walk down like a hundred rows. And, but so outside the stadiums, there's no covering. So all the walkways were covered by water. At least you weren't slipping and falling like they were doing at, in, in SoFi. But uh, but that was but I, I it was neat. I sat down low for the game, but it was really good because I got a good impression. You know, sitting down low behind behind the Penn State bench, and then uh, the, and then I went to an NHL game, Kings versus the Stars, LA Kings at Staples Center, 
And that's one thing I don't like about going into hockey in these multi-purpose arenas. It's the slight lines were terrible in that stadium. I like, you know, Florida Panthers where they play and where Tampa plays the hockey only arenas because I went to the Honda Center and the Honda Center was absolutely tremendous to watch the Hanheim Ducks play. Love that in that center. I sat right on the glass. I'm screaming and yelling as the pucks are flying around and, and it was so cool to be right on the glass for that game. And then I went to two NBA games, Heat first Lakers, which I will talk about, start talking about the NBA soon. And then I saw last Thursday night, one of the best regular season games I've ever seen. I've never saw Luka Doncic play up in person, which is shocking. And he's going against LeBron and it was a double overtime game. The Mavericks won 119-115. Luka played 53 minutes, 35 points, 14 boards, 13 assists. LeBron 47 minutes, had 24 points, 16 boards, 9 assists. Westbrook played great, two at 28 points. But it was, I sat 10th row, right on the foul line, watched it and watched Luca and LeBron pass the ball with they have eyes all around their head, making great passes. Each one of them would have 25 to 30 assists if their players would have made their shots. And Luca then, they're down by three, going into, at the end of regulation, he hits a, a three to send it to overtime. And then in the overtime, he hits another three to send it to double overtime. But LeBron had a chance to win, drove for the ball, drove a layup, got fouled on the shot, just missed the layup. And then you go into double overtime. Time, but it was a super exciting game. Celebrities everywhere around me. And uh, just, it was, you know, it was weird. It's like, you know, LeBron's like, okay, Luca's coming here. I'm going to play great. You could just sense the intensity. It really was a playoff atmosphere in a regular season basketball game, which some of these regular season games, you know, appear that who cares, who cares. But LeBron played all out and Luca was just a joy to watch in person. It's just, it's amazing how quick he is, how fast he is. And he looks so slow. He looks like he just shouldn't even be out there. And he's only, and he just is his quit. He's just a um, step back threes, his drives to the basket. He he is just a joy to watch. And of course, LeBron, I've watched him his whole life and I love watching how he plays the game. So it was pretty cool to see those two guys go at it. Truly an epic matchup to be at. Luka Doncic just continues to impress, gets better constantly. It is kind of crazy. You haven't seen him play yet. I mean, he's only been in the league a couple of years. I think we think of Luka Doncic as been, having been around like kind of forever now because he's been at MVP caliber since he basically came into the league. So I, I wasn't anticipating that, but it kind of does make sense. So Ira, you're in Tampa Bay now getting ready for the uh, Dallas Cowboys Bucks game. Have you figured out what your plan is for this week yet? No, I haven't, and it's going to be tough. This is a tough week, so I don't know. I, I think I'll either go – I might not go to either game or I would go to Philadelphia or I would – it depends. If Tampa wins, I might want to go to San Francisco for the game. But it's not like – you know, it's not easy. I, I hope – for the AFC perspective, it would be – the following would be Kansas City versus uh, Buffalo because that game would be in Atlanta, which would be an easy trip to go to for that game. But this week is – it didn't work out so great in terms of watching the games. Uh, but I would say it would be either San, San Francisco, Philadelphia, or not go to any of the games. Ira, would you like to uh... – um, you had said you don't know where you're heading yet, but would you like to make some predictions on what we're going to see uh, next week as we get closer and closer to the Super Bowl? I'm telling you, I like Kansas City being Jacksonville. I think Kansas City had all this rest. They're ready to go. Jacksonville had a big win, but I just think they, they're not good enough to beat Kansas City. And I think that it, I think Buffalo's beating Cincinnati. They're just a better. I think Josh Allen. I think they're, they'll get their act together. They, to me, are a better team than Cincinnati is. And I think I think Allen's going to beat Burrow. But I cannot wait. That's going to be an amazing game. The Buffalo Cincinnati game to watch. 
I'm I'm gonna say Giants. So uh, Daniel Jones played fantastic. I think he played great. I think he, between the running and the passing, and I think you're gonna see the upset. I think the Eagles are like that NASCAR car that you know the driver that was for led 150 laps, but at the end of the race, you know, doesn't have the car because it's got colder or the tires don't work or something. I think the Eagles are done, and I think Giants upset them. And then we don't know what's gonna happen in terms of Dallas and and uh, Tampa at uh, San Francisco. But you got to think that San Francisco has a huge advantage because of the rest factor because these other teams are gonna have three extra days of rest and they're going to be playing at home so you got to think san francisco against tampa or dallas and ira one of the uh, continuing themes on this show is that you have no qualms about waking up at two o'clock in the morning and watching tennis for hours and that's what you'll be getting ready to do well i love the australian open it's great i wish it was on our time so i wouldn't have to wake up at three thirty. but i'm excited on the women's side there's going to be no naomi osaka she uh, congratulations to her she's pregnant so she's not gonna be in the tournament no serena williams but on the men's side I love how the draw works out because hopefully we'll have an adult Djokovic final. Um, uh, Kyrgyz just pulled out. So Djokovic actually has, remember, he's been, did not, was not able to enter this tournament last year. Uh, but uh, I would love, you know, I'm excited anytime I get to see Nadal, Djokovic, and, and where the, how that works out. So I love the Australian Open. I've seen some of the best tennis matches I've ever seen have been, uh, been from Australian Open on those hard courts down there, but at 3.30 in the morning, so... We are just about out of time. Don't forget, follow Ira anywhere on social media at Ira on Sports. Thanks so much to Gene Fournette for joining us. He's Ira. I'm Mike. Let's talk next Monday night. It's Ira on Sports.